Hello and welcome to this edition of Podularity for the 23rd of October 2009. My name is George Miller, and this edition of Podularity, the online books program that brings you authors and books in a pod, is sponsored by Blackwell Online. My guest today is Jan Zalashevich, the author of The Earth After Us, which has just been published in paperback. In the book, Jan looks back and forward several billion years in the life of our planet to show the dramatic effect we are having on it and to ponder what traces we will have left behind us a hundred million years from now. I asked Jan to begin by explaining the premise for his book. The premise is to apply to humans, you know, to to our own species, exactly the same kind of, of analyses of processes of thought experiments, uh, which we apply as geologists routinely to to dinosaurs and to ammonites and trilobites uh, and every other species that has existed on the world. All of those have a history that we can read. Parts of that history are obscure, parts of it we know very well. And so we develop a set of methodologies, uh, a means for making predictions. And then it was simply a case of, of looking at us looking at what we produce, in, in particular, you know, the, the, the strange uh, Baroque constructions that, that we've made all over the world, and then just treating those as, as future fossils. So you posit an alien race which comes to Earth in 100 million years, and they've, they've obviously got the technology, the science to get them to Earth. Therefore, they're scientifically, scientifically curious, and Earth is the, the subject of their investigation? Yes, I, I think if, if you have a race, uh, a civilization of, of beings who are sufficiently curious to get to this solar system, one can imagine that they'll be sufficiently curious to A, look on the world as extraordinary, because the world, the Earth, is, is extraordinary by comparison with all the other planets, and then to investigate its future present, as it were, and also try to work out to wonder where this future present has come from, how it arose, uh, and how it survived for so long. And to do that, they will have to play the particular kind of history game that that we call geology here. They will have to uh, look at all the evidence on the Earth, which is abundant, far more abundant than on any other of our neighbouring planets, and then try and put on the deerstalker hat and and the cape and become, you know, a, a fossil detective. And in a way, it's a kind of homage to the human enterprise of geology because you're showing how much science is involved for this alien race to come and get to grips with the the material evidence. And I suppose, in a sense, you're sort of saying, well, these are the processes through which human geologists have gone in order to bring our understanding of the, the Earth and its functions to the present state. Yes, precisely that, because we, we often take, uh, like, you know, the earth for granted. You know, it is what we're used to. And yet, it is extraordinary. And then we have these picture postcard views of the past of, of tableau with, you know, with dinosaurs and with armored fossil fish and, and, and such. And yet the earth of the past looked at in any way dispassionately is deeply alien uh, and becomes more alien as we go further back into the past. We now have a reasonable idea, a set of more or less uh, logical glimpses of of what went on there. And then I suspect in a hundred million years' time, if there are beings, whether from this planet or from another planet, who look back in the past, they will also look on this particular time as being 
also extraordinary. And certainly what humans have produced on the Earth is quite a unique footprint. There has been nothing like us before and nothing like the kind of effect that we're having on the planet. Situate for listeners the, the human occupancy of the planet within the swathe of geological time, because that in itself is quite sobering, I think. The Earth is a little over four and a half billion, that is four and a half thousand million years old. Life has been around for more than half of that time, has existed since about three billion years ago. Most of the history of life is a history of microbes. They are the real rulers of the planet. They have the longevity and they have the influence even now to affect the planet more than we have. Creepy crawlies, multicellular animals, metazoans, have been around for about half a billion years. That is one-ninth of the history of the planet. And they came on the scene with a bit of a bang, um, and that is still a mystery. So they've been around for about 550 million years. Uh, Humans have been around for 160,000 years. That is a small fraction of one million years, and one million years is the small change of geological time. Within that 160,000 years, humans have only made any sort of impact globally for about 10,000 years since the end of the last ice age. And really, we've only begin begun to really affect the planet drastically, one might say, over the last 200 years. Uh, so we are an accelerating phenomenon. When you pull the camera back to that extent, you don't have to be a pessimist to think that in 100 million years from now, the likelihood of us still being around is not high. It's simply a matter of the the geology of the planet changing. We have altered the rules of the game a bit, but even so, our chances must be much, much less than evens. The average species span is somewhere between one and five billion years. We've been around for much, much less than that. If we make it to the average species span, then I think that will be a huge success, you know, for the human species, because as well as making, adapting the earth to make life more comfortable for us, we're also adapting the earth to long term make life much more dangerous for us. And although we are ingenious, we are more robust than many other life forms. Nonetheless, one would not rate our chances at surviving into the geological future. So even if our, even if from tomorrow our effect became miraculously benign, the planet is changing under our feet, literally, in ways which we will not be able to control with the, the shifting of continents and with that changes to, to ice and, and weather and habitability. Yes, yes, there are always the, the shocks that come from outer space, the, the meteorites, the, the supervolcanoes. Uh, we've never really lived in any kind of historical memory through a very, very big volcanic eruption. Uh, And yet one of the kind that we see in the geological past could take out a whole continent, for instance. And then the the other dangers as well. The more we know about life, the the more, again, the microbes have the upper hand. Uh, So uh, things like pandemics are part of the natural world, as part of the human world. So given all of that, plus our own propensities, you know, for intra-species argument and warfare. Yes, it's going to be a a bumpy ride ahead, I think. So these aliens in 100 million years arrive and the planet, the surface of the planet has been wiped clean of human vestiges. So how do they know we have been here? It will take them some time, just in the same way as it took humans 
quite some time to discover that there had been such things as dinosaurs, you know, on on the Earth. The Earth's surface is far too active; it's far too energetic. The, the forces of erosion are far too great for anything on the surface to be left. So, we are looking at a, a record in the strata. We will form one thin stratum amongst many millions of strata, kilometer thicknesses of strata, you know, which cover the Earth. So it will be only when the aliens start to read the story in those strata that they will first try and work out in broad scale the history of of the Earth and of life on Earth, just as as we are at the moment, and then focus on extraordinary events within that, just as we focus, let's say. Now have come to focus uh, on the the events that wiped out the dinosaurs and and much else about sixty five million years ago, and the first evidence they will find of that will probably be of mass extinctions, environmental change, sea level change, ocean acidification, all the environmental processes that are we are causing, uh, and which will leave an imprint, and then it's only by tracking that. A thin layer around the world, again, just as geologists do today, that they will eventually stumble upon, rather than actively look for, the remains of parts of towns or cities, uh, roads, houses, obvious artifacts, you know, unnatural constructions, as it were, and then they will know that there had been a, a past civilization on the planet. But it will take some time. The sea preserves. Remains better than land, and you've got in the book the the very potent image of the drowned city. What what goes on when a city is sort of pulled or is subsumed by by the sea? Yes, it's, it's a story of two sides of a city. Really, you you have the, the the surface side and the the underground side. For any city, you know, for instance, New Orleans or or,、uh, or Venice, you know, these are all both prime candidates for fossilization. The surface parts. Almost certainly,、uh, will be knocked about more than somewhat. The upper stories will collapse. The waves will will wash them and sort them and segregate them, convert them into sand and, and boulders. But what is underground? The cellars, if we're very lucky, may be part of the the, the, the lower ground floors. All of the the networks of of pipes and tunnels and sewers and such like that has a fighting chance. Of being preserved more or less intact, the kind of things that will happen to that is, if you have a city that is drowned, and that is actively subsiding on a piece of crust that is taking what I call a downwards tectonic escalator, that city, the remains of it, will be buried by more sediment, and that sediment will pile up meter after meter, and then kilometer after kilometer, and so the remains will be crushed, compacted. Heated up,、uh, they may be torn apart by earthquakes. They may be tipped upside down by mountain building movements of the future. But nonetheless, that is exactly what happens to fossils of the past. And we have now little problem in reading these fragments of preserved histories. I suppose the shock comes though in thinking that our remains. Will be the subject of study for geologists rather than archaeologists. We, we used <laughs> we used to our material culture being kind of poured over by archaeologists. But what you're saying is, you go far enough into the future, and actually, we are geological data rather than archaeological data. We will then be the the alien species,、uh, as alien as let's say、uh, you know 
a dinosaur or, or a, a sea urchin uh, or a, a lobster or a trilobite is, is to us. The only thing that will link us with the, the observers to be will be the level of organization and intelligence. Uh, so there'll be much curiosity, I'd imagine, there. But it will be very difficult, I think, for the the observers of the future to get inside the mind of of us as human beings. Our effects, our effects particularly on the planet, on the environment, will be much clearer uh, than anything that we might consider to be the human part of our natures. So love and hate and music and sport and frivolity, all of that will be terribly hard, if not impossible, to read. It's even hard for us to read the motives of previous humans. If you look at Stonehenge, for instance, we have no idea whether Stonehenge was a, a ceremonial object, uh, whether it was for commerce, whether it was a, a meeting place, whether it was to do with astronomy, or it might have been very different, differently used at different times. And that wasn't long ago, and it was our species, and yet we still struggle greatly. So imagine just how difficult it will be to have smaller fragments and Stonehenge left for a completely alien intelligence to, to try and grapple with. And the, the principal thing that they will find in this sort of human balance sheet will be the step change in global temperature. That will, that will, be, the, will that be the first thing they notice, that there was a, a rapid, in geological terms, warming of the Earth's temperature, and it was from anthropogenic causes. Yes, the, the warming they will see, the, the anthropogenic cause they will eventually discover, I think. But the warming will almost certainly cause the ice sheets to melt. That will give rise to a, a rapid rise in sea level. There have been examples of that in the past, uh, frequently. It does leave a strong geological signal. For instance, you can replace one sort of, of rock, a sandstone of a beach, by another sort, uh, a deep sea mud, for instance. And, and that is clear. An undergraduate student can easily see that. The mass extinction also will leave a, a significant signal. That is only just beginning, but give us another century, and we will be competing pretty well with the, the mass extinctions of the past. The one strange thing about this will be that, as well as species becoming extinct, they will also be becoming more impoverished, as we've converted vegetation on the planet to a very few species to feed ourselves. And also you'll have these strange migrations of rats and pigs and goats going everywhere. That will be geologically unique, and that again will lead them to be thinking that something strange has been going on even before they find the first fragment of a human city. Yes, you have interesting things to say about pollen, for example, as, as we go to more and more monocultures and species loss in the plant kingdom speeds up. That, 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 that will leave a record of the pollen types reducing in, in number. That's right. Yes, one of the, the, the best records uh, we have of, of the plants of the past uh, is in the fossil pollen. They leave. Uh, pollen is, is robust. It's very abundant in, in, in sedimentary rocks. It can be extracted. Presumably, our future visitors will do the same as well. And there will be this sudden impoverishment and the appearance of new sorts uh, of pollen from the, the, the plants that we have specially bred in order to feed us. That will be quite distinctive and quite new. It seemed to me that your book was geology with a moral purpose. Is that a reasonable characterization of it? 
I guess so, in common with many other geologists and one of my colleagues, who tend to be fairly sanguine about various environmental threats of the past, you know, uh, acid rain and pollution and things like that, you know, have been just part of the course. But the kind of things we're doing now are deeply disturbing because they're happening very quickly. They seem at the moment to be almost unstoppable. So this is a, a world which geologically appears out of control. And one way of trying to get across the scale of what is happening is simply to put human activity, current human activity, into the kind of geological context, the context of, of present history within deep history, because that, to me, shows both the scale and the rapidity of the event. This change that we're causing geologically will look like a meteorite impact strike. It will appear as suddenly in the geological record, because most of the change is happening in a few centuries. And a few centuries are, are you know, I can't tell units of thousands of years apart in the geological record, you know, with any ease at all. So it will appear uh, instantaneous. Presumably, though, you wouldn't want readers of the book to feel entirely overwhelmed and powerless. Presumably, there's a part of the purpose is to is to say, look, this is this is serious. We, we are capable of of immense damage. And therefore, we must we must really not delay and not spend decades discussing what we're doing. But but actually take action. Quite, yes. But it is, again, one of the uh, the tragedies, if you like, is that it, it, it is a soluble problem. And it is a question of resources. At the moment, it is still regarded as a problem for the future. It's talked about quite a lot, and there, is, there are some resources going in, but those aren't commensurate with the scale of, of what's happening. We really only have a few decades left. And if one was to put resources, let's say into finding new energy sources, that are on the scale of, let's say, the recent bank rescue, or let's say, of the Iraq war, then one could make serious progress. And I think one could also then give hope that this is a soluble problem. This can be done. There will be damage, but we can pull through as a civilization. But it, it, it will need time and effort very quickly. That was Jan Zalashevich. The Earth After Us is published by Oxford University Press and is out now in paperback. You'll find it and several million other titles at blackwell.co.uk, who kindly sponsored this podcast. Coming up shortly on Podularity, our 2009 Booker Prize winner Hilary Mantel on Wolf Hall and Cambridge Professor of Classics Mary Beard on the highs and lows of a Don's life. Subscribing to Podularity is quick, free and easy. Just go to the podcasts page of iTunes and type Podularity in the search box. I hope you'll join me next time, and until then, thank you for listening, and goodbye.